This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 11, probably for the last time for quite a while. How many have heard the term doxology? Is that familiar to anyone? Does anyone by chance know the song? I'm not going to ask you to sing it. <laughs> Anybody know the song doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above. Ye heavenly host, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Beautiful words, right? Beautiful words. And actually, that's a song that's in each and every book that we have and just about every hymn book I've ever seen because it's such a wonderful expression of praise. If you haven't heard that term before and it just sounds like another course in school that you take, it's a very important word. Doxology literally means speaking glory. Doxos and logia, glory that is spoken, speaking glory. And every song ought to be that, right? Every song that we sing ought to, certainly within a church house, ought to bring glory to God, right? That's what we're here for, to glorify Him. And right here, as we'll see in the middle of this letter of Romans, we come across what you could call a doxology. So I want to just look at that this morning Consider what is said here. Consider what it means for us. You know, every song should hit our heart in some way, especially if it's glorifying God. If it doesn't, quite, often, quite honestly, we need to throw it out because every song ought to glorify God and lift our hearts in praise, right? Let's see what uh, the importance of this doxology is and, and uh, what it means for us. So the text for this morning's message will be Romans chapter 11. We're going to read verse 33 through verse 36. Romans 11, 33 through verse 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you, thankful, thankful for this day, this time that we've been allowed to come here and worship, Lord. I thank you for all that are gathered here in your name, Lord. And the, we pray that you've received glory from the songs that we have lifted to you. I pray now that as we come to the time of the preaching that you would help us to continue to give glory to you by being receptive and accepting of your truth. That you would give us open eyes of our heart to see what is here for us, Lord. I ask that you would Look upon the prayer requests that have been lifted. The young man who's traveling for the military, Lord, that you would please watch over him, protect him, guide him, and do so with all of our soldiers who make the sacrifice for us, Lord. I pray that you would be with our friend Frank and the rest of the sheriff's department, Lord, as, as they do a noble job, Lord, that you would protect them, watch over them as well as Tara Rose, and just continue to work in her life. Lord, all the prayer requests that have been lifted up to you, I make mention of those now before you, Lord, that you would work in them and, and uh, work among us as we are attentive to your word today. 
I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. So what we have here at the end of chapter 11, right before we get into the practical part of chapter 12, is a sudden doxology. So if you were to sit down and read this letter from start to finish, which it takes probably about 45 minutes to an hour to to actually read it aloud, but if you were to sit there and just read it, and you're going along from subject to subject and point to point, all of a sudden you come to this right at the end of chapter 11. And it, it... it's an immediate outburst of praise. And it kind of catches your eye. It catches your ear. And Paul does this quite a bit in his writings. Ephesians chapter 3 is another notable one where he's going along and then he just stops and there it's like an instant prayer. An instant prayer of praise. And he just pours out his heart as he's, as he's writing this. And I can just imagine what this would have looked like. If I take, can take you back way to the, the first message in this series a couple years ago, I told you that Paul is, he's at Corinth when this is written, but he's not the one actually writing it down. He's dictating it to a guy named Tertius. In fact, in chapter 16, you can see his name there. And if he's anything like me, as he's, as he's talking, he's probably pacing. I do that quite a bit. helps me think and gets my mind kind of jump started i can imagine paul's think paul's walking around pacing and oh, oh write this down here i want i want you to write this very specifically and no maybe throw that out let's let's think about this I, that's kind of how i work i don't know if paul worked the same but i can imagine as he's he's following the leading of the spirit and working through all of these massive subjects when he comes to this point he stops He pauses for a moment and he says, oh, God is good. God is greatly to be praised. His heart is overwhelmed and overflowing with praise. But there's a couple questions I have as we read this. Why here? Isn't this an odd place? Shouldn't this be like at the end, after it's all said and done, shouldn't then he just lift up this, this glorious portion of praise? No, I think it's placed perfectly. And there's some very important things that are said here, so I want to just spend a little time with this. First, let me just quickly point out the placement of this doxology. Praise has a very important place in our life, don't you think? You think it's a vital point of our life? I would say so. And it has to be in the right place. See, most people think about praise like a mathematical equation. If God does this for me, then I will praise Him. If God acts in this manner that I deem worthy of praise, then I will praise Him. If He does not, then I will not praise Him. What do I have to praise Him for? He didn't do what I wanted Him to do. That, sadly, is the the realm most people are in when they're thinking of praise. That's not the right place of praise, right? We are to praise God at all times, for all things. Praise is not an end goal, like if God does something, then I'll get there. No, praise, true godly praise, is a reaction to God and a vehicle for service. A true, biblical, righteous praise is a reaction to God, and it becomes a vehicle for service. Let me see if I can explain that. 
just within the context of Romans. Sometimes it's hard to remember where we've been because we're, we're in the trenches, we're going verse by verse. It's good to take a step back and think about the whole, the whole message of this book of Romans. Think about Paul's line of reasoning and all that he set out. He starts out in chapter 1 saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. It's the power of salvation for everyone. And everyone needs it. He says, you can look out in the world. You see what's going on. They've abandoned God. They've walked away from God. They're living in a reprobate mind. The world doesn't need to prove that it needs God. It shows it by its actions, right? We can see that. Even though everything that is created points to God, they ignore it and go about their own fleshly lusts. That's what chapter 1 tells us. Chapter 2 says, hey, the religious man, the guy who thinks he's good, is no better because they do the same thing. They do the very same sin. So somebody may say they're religious and they're already right with God. No, they're just as bad as the world out there because we do the same sin. We're sinners. In fact, chapter 3, we're all sinners. We're all under the bondage of sin. There's nobody good. There's nobody automatically right with God. No, in fact, we go away, don't we? We don't seek after God. We seek after ourselves. And we all stand, the whole world stands guilty before God because of our own sin. But, chapter 3, 4, and 5, God in His love has provided that the way that we might be restored to Him, the way that we might be delivered from the wages of sin, which is death, and be restored to that right relationship with Him. And it's not by working for it. It's not by being less bad than others. The sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for sin is the death of Christ on the cross. His atoning sacrifice is the way that we can be justified. Chapter 3, we're guilty. Chapter 4 and 5, we can be justified, declared not guilty by faith in Christ. And it's by faith, it's by trusting and believing that He took our place and paid for our sins on the cross and asking forgiveness for our sins and redemption. In chapter 5, verse 1, being justified, then we have peace with God. It was talked about this morning in a testimony. Peace. And you know what? We come from all different backgrounds of life. We've got all different kind of life experiences. But there is one thing you will hear in a testimony of true salvation. I was lost. I trusted in Jesus. I have peace. And that peace is never shaken. I've been saved for 30-something years. When I was just a, a young boy, not much younger than my son. But you know that peace has been in my heart like a solid rock because it's founded on the rock who died for my sins, Christ. We have peace with God. No longer facing His judgment, but now given eternal life and forgiven of sin. It's a brand new life, right? Romans 6, 7, and 8. That's why we yield to Him. We serve Him. We get baptized. We join His church and we serve Him. We put the old sinful ways down and we live in the presence and the power of His Spirit getting closer and closer to Him until ultimately we're with Him forever in perfect peace and joy and harmony. Chapter 9 through 11, Israel missed out because they, they weren't faithful and there's a warning to stay faithful. 
But that's all that Paul says, has, has said up till now. If you sit and you really consider that, who God is and all that He has done for me, a sinner, how much He loves us, how much He has given to us, how amazing His plan is, when all that settles in our mind, you will praise. Oh God, you are so good. You are so merciful. You are so gracious. You see, praise is produced in our heart because we realize who God is and all that He's done. It's not conditional. It's produced from the character of God. God has been righteous to me, a sinner. I don't deserve salvation, yet He has provided it. I don't deserve to live another day, yet in His grace and His mercy, He not only gives me another day, He gives me a family. He gives me love and peace and joy. He gives me the pleasure of walking with Him and reading His Word and then working in my life and doing things for me. Praise is produced because that's who God is. And so my heart praises Him. And then you know what happens? It becomes a vehicle for service. You notice that this this portion of praise is after the doctrinal portion of Romans, Romans 1 through 11, and before the practical, because look at chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then he goes to tell all the ways that we can do that and how to, how to function as a body, how to handle government. And he talks about all kinds of different issues. But before he gets to that, there's praise. You see, praise must come before the practical. We have to know why we must live in a godly way. Our hearts full of and captivated by the grace and mercy of God to us who are sinners. And that praise for Him, that thankfulness begins to pour out of our heart in praise and action. You see, godly living in and of itself is an act of worship. Why do I do certain things and not other things? Because I know who God is and I want to be pleasing to Him. I'm worshiping Him. Why am I a godly husband or a godly employee? Because I'm doing that out of worship and honor to the One who has given me so much. Praise comes before the practical. It's the vehicle for which we live godly. I'm going to do this, Lord, because You're amazing. Because I love you and I want to be pleasing to you. Not because you're forced to. That is dead religion and God gets no glory from that. I'm going to go to church because I have to. You think he's jumping for joy that you walked in the doors then? And imagine if I treated my wife that I had to come home because I'm, ha- I'm here because I have to be. Not because I want to be, but I'm here because I have to be. Yeah, it makes my wife feel warm and fuzzy when I say something like that, right? We do that all the time to God. I'd rather be on Facebook, but I'm going to read this. Blah, 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 blah. That's not right. Your heart is not in the right place. Your heart should be full of praise so that you say, I want to know. I may not understand. There may be some hard things, but Lord, show me, as the psalmist says, open my eyes to the glory of Your Word. Open my eyes that I might see. Lord, help me to just be a living example of you because you are so amazing and awesome and all that you've done for me and I want other people to know it. And I come here because I want to meet with you and sing to you and be with your people. There's a difference, isn't there? 
Praise comes before the practical. It is the vehicle through which we do godly service. And without a heart of praise, it's dead. So yeah, this is right where it needs to be. All the massive doctrine, Paul lifts his heart in praise, and he says, okay, there's the why we do what we do. Now what do we do? Because we love God so much for all that He's done. It is the bridge that needs to connect the truth of the Word to our action. Praise is the bridge that connects the truth of God's Word to the actions we live every day. So it needs to be in the right place. Secondly, let's notice the power of doxology. So praise is a lot like prayer. We should do it all the time, right? It's something that's usually done externally. But there's an internal work that happens. There's an internal work that happens. When we pray or we praise, it's not necessarily for the benefit of others, though people can hear it. People can hear somebody stand up and give a a special, and it blesses our hearts, right? And we say, amen, thank you for that, we we appreciate that. Or singing in public as a a corporate body here, and and it lifts our hearts when we, we sing praises, or we hear somebody pray, or whatever. That's fine. But the benefit is not mainly for others. The benefit of praise is not even mainly for God. Do you understand that? All creation praises Him. The angels praise Him. But when we praise Him, something happens within us. Just like prayer. You ever ever been deep in prayer? And you're just pouring your heart out to God and you're asking for a lot of things and at the same time you're praising Him within your prayer saying you're so good and you're so great to me. Thank you and forgive me, I'm a sinner. And You ever leave that prayer feeling closer to God? You see, there was something that happened within you. It strips down all the barriers that are in the way and you simply humble yourself before God. That's what praise does. Praise gives us clarity and perspective. Praise teaches us more about Him. You see, we are confessing His glory, His greatness. We're telling with our mouth and our heart the impact that the truth has had upon us. And that confession brings a deeper communion with Him. So it's pretty important what Paul says here. I just want to look at a couple things that he says and uh, see why it's so powerful in our lives. And he takes, a, he takes a path here that we might not think of at first. So let's dig in a little bit. Verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. I don't know if it hits you the same way. That first word, oh, oh. You know, there are depths in small words in Scripture. Think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Do you know how big that little word so is? It tells us how much He loved us to send His Son to die for us. Or there's the biggest little word in the Bible I always say is if. Because it means something. It it tells us, hey, we need to pay attention here. This is another one of them. After Paul has talked about all this massive truth and all that God has done for us, he stops and says, oh God, how great you are. The truth has hit home. 
Even if Paul only said, oh, I think we'd get the point. You ever, you ever pray a prayer that doesn't really have words? You, you know the mess in your head, the mess in your heart, and you just kind of say, for me, it's just Lord. There's been prayers that were like that, Lord, just you know. You know, praise can be the same. Oh, Lord, you are so good. You don't have to put it into words, but your heart is lifted. It's that moment when it all hits home. Do you have that? Do you feel the weight of all that God has done and how good He has been and all the mighty ways that He has worked for you? Does it hit home? Man, you need to have that moment. And it's not just on a Sunday morning. No, like every day. Oh, Lord, you have been so good to me. All I can do is praise you because you are so good and wonderful and mighty. That's exactly what happens here with Paul. Oh, God, you are good. You are great for all of this. And it's going to, hard to, be, it's going to be hard to kind of speak of what he says here. How, how do I speak about the... Depth of God. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of God. How do I speak about the depth of God in just a few seconds? God is. No matter how deep you go, the root of every cause, the root of every reason is God. He is. All things are from Him. All things are because of God. How do I explain His riches? No. Instead, we'll simply focus on the two deep riches of God that Paul points out. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I've always wondered, until I sat down to, to kind of line out this message, why doesn't Paul say, oh, the depth and riches of the grace and mercy of God? Because that's where our mind would go first, right? He doesn't go there. And it's not that grace and mercy aren't deep, no. He's going more foundational, and I hope I can explain this. If you were to read Romans 1 through 11, you were to sit down, and maybe if you haven't heard some of it before, or if you were truly in, in deep thought, there's a question to be answered. And it's a, it's a question maybe you're asking whether you know it or not. All of the plan of salvation is laid down. All of the plan of service and all of the plan that we should walk with Him, there's a question. And that question is this. Why? Why does it have to be that way? Why can't I be saved this way? Why can't I work for it? Why not save everyone? Why not let every individual choose how they be saved? Why, why is the church so important? And why do we have to be faithful? Isn't there another way? What about my way? You see the basis of questions? Why this? Why this? And Paul's going to answer that question with praise. And the answer is, this way is the only way. This way has been given in the perfect wisdom and knowledge of God. He knows, and so He gives us this way. Now, you might think you know some things. We're pretty smart. I was going to make a joke. We're all smart. 
maybe I'll say myself, I'm not up to the level I'd like to be, and there's many things I've forgotten. But we're pretty intelligent people, and we humans think we know some things. Think of all that we've done in technology just in the past 50 years. Take cars from 50 years ago in 1950, and oh, we're 70 years from that now. And today in 2020, look at the technology. Look at the cell phones we have in our hands and the power powers that those little things have and how quickly that has accelerated just over the past few decades. We're pretty smart. We know some things. But it comes nowhere near to the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You see, God knows all things. Ever. Any piece of information that ever has been or ever will be. Every fact. Every statistic. Every piece of information ever, God knows perfectly. Everything about you and every person ever that has been or ever will be. Every thought and inclination of your heart, those thoughts that flash by and those ones you can't recover and those ones that won't get out of your mind, God knows. God knows the leaning of your hearts and the words that you want to say and the words that you don't say. He knows every action and the outcome and the effects of that action to the fullest degree for all people at all times that ever have been or that ever will be, and He knows it perfectly. God knows the action and effect and existence of each atom in the entirety of the universe from creation to eternity, for He holds them all together, every single one, every infinitesimal speck. And He knows how it all relates to each other. How your thoughts will relate to another person for each person that ever has been or that ever will be. He knows it perfectly and it does not tax Him. It does not cause Him to break a sweat like your mind is spinning a little bit from the things that I just said. It does not cause Him to sit down. He knows this because He is God. We have a fancy word for that. Omniscience. God knows all things. And there is so much more than I could even express with my failing, faltering tongue. Oh, the depth of the riches of the knowledge of God. And not just knowledge, wisdom. How to apply that knowledge. He knows how it all works out. How it's all best. How unsearchable are His judgments, His decisions. And His ways past finding out. Who will trace them out? He has known His decisions from eternity past. Will you sit down and trace up the impact of all His decisions? No, you won't. Do you know more than God and will you question His decisions? No. God knows. And in His perfect wisdom and His perfect knowledge and His perfect judgments and ways, He has given us the perfect plan of redemption. Why are we saved this way? Why is Christ the only way? Because that is the way that God has prescribed, and He knows all things. And in that, He has a purpose to it. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. God knows all things. Oh, how deep is His knowledge, His ways past finding out. And He has given us this perfect plan, yet we would counsel Him. Verse 34, Who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath been His counselor? You know, you cannot fully know God with this human mind, your mind would explode. 
we have trouble with eternity. Forever and ever and ever and ever. It's never going to end. Even in 100 million years, it's like it just started. It's a state of existence. Forever and ever and ever. It never stops. And to tell you the truth, it never stops from the beginning either. Eternity past, eternity future. We have trouble comprehending that. We have trouble comprehending the, hin- the Trinity. <laughs> Those are things that keep me up at night as a pastor. How do I explain that? <laughs> no, we cannot fully know His mind, but God has in His grace revealed Himself through words and phrases that our finite man can understand. You can read this and know that God loves you. You can know this and read this and know that He's a God of grace and mercy that wants to save you. You can read this and know of His majesty and His glory, His Godness, if you will. And what that is meant to do is produce humility and praise. Right? But instead, we think we know it all. And we sinners try to counsel God, don't we? In fact, that's what we do the most. You know what the most... Here's the reaction to the Bible. Here it is. The truth of God stands. I get up and preach it. Hopefully I don't preach anything else. If I do, you need to get me out of the pulpit. But that's what I've committed myself to. Verse by verse, exposition of this. And here's what happens. I say the truth... It is what it is. This is God's truth. It stands. And there are people that say, nope, I don't like that. I I don't think that flies. I like this way. I I think, I think this is better. (laughs) That's counseling God. Who would counsel? You're going to advise God on His Word? Or it escalates. How could you? Why did you? Why didn't you? Right? You should have done this. (laughs) Would we advise Him? No, you see, He stands outside of time and He sees all things perfect how they all work together. And Ephesians 1 says He works all things after the counsel of His own will. And whether it is the truth of Scripture or God's plan and working in my own life, you know what I need to do? Humble myself and trust His perfect knowledge and and wisdom and humble myself under Him. And not act as if He owes me an explanation. Look at the next verse. Verse 35. I turned away. Where to go? Who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? Who's going to give him something and expect to be repaid by God? Do you understand? God is in debt to no one. Ever. You know what we do? We receive from God, don't we? Whether it's salvation or grace or mercy or blessings, we receive from Him as He gives to us. He needs nothing. He asks for our praise. He asks for our love and for our humility and all that. But He needs nothing to where He's going to be in our debt. All that is, is His. You understand that? Everything that is made, everything that we see is His. He is Creator. He is Owner. And what we do have is allowed by Him. 
And there's a human tendency to get that mixed up. Say you give, say you give extra in the offering. And maybe you've got an extra amount of money and you give and you walk away from that plate feeling pretty good. And when the numbers are up at business meeting, in your mind, you say, that's right, that was me. Thank you very much. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're holy. <laughs> but human tendency is kind of the way to do that. And then you know what we do? We bring it up later. Hey, God, you remember that extra five bucks I gave? Keep that in mind when I'm needing something here. That's what we do. We're morons, by the way. But that's what we do. Which is exactly why salvation has nothing to do with us. Because if it did, we'd boast. I was faithful. I got myself here. I worked for my salvation. And that's why it's very clear. Salvation is by grace, through faith. It's Him. He gives it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That's why the plan is the way that it is. It has nothing to do with us. First of all, we can't do anything. And secondly, we would boast. It's all dependent on Him so that we owe Him everything. And here's where we come to the main point. The last point. What is the point of praise? What is the point of doxology? Verse 36. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Why does Paul go through these these massive attributes of God and speak about His wisdom and His knowledge and His sovereignty and that compared to Him we know nothing? Because God has set everything before us for His glory, for our greatness, and for our relationship with Him. All glory belongs to Him. That's the point of His praise. That's the point of praise. Praise is not just to remind us of His greatness. It's not just to vocally proclaim His attributes in person. But it is to do the very thing that we and everything else was created to do. And that is glorify God. That is why we exist to glorify God, to enjoy that relationship with Him as we follow Him. We give Him glory, not us. All glory is due to Him because everything revolves around Him. He is God. All things are of Him. He's the Creator of all. All things are through Him. He sustains everything. All things are to Him. Ultimately, everything will glorify Him for it. He is the originator and initiator of salvation. Do you understand that? Some of my, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is in the garden. After the fall. They eat the fruit, and now they're hiding and they're naked. And it says that God comes walking in the garden. And what does He do? Adam, where are you? He didn't have to do that. God knew perfectly what had happened. But you see, He comes seeking after us, doesn't He? And He provides the way that we can be forgiven of sin, restored back to Him as His child. He does that, not us. 
He is the originator of salvation. He is the accomplisher of salvation. He comes in a human body and lives a perfect life and allows His sinful human creation to nail Him to a cross as He gives His perfect blood and dies. He came and bought our salvation. And it's all to Him. It's all because of Him. One day we will be reunited with Him and spend eternity with Him. Yes, to Him be the glory, not us. For He is God and God alone. Why do we have to be saved this way through Jesus? Why do we have to serve this way? Because any way else glorifies us and not God. If we had anything to do with our salvation, we would have call to receive glory. If our service was based on our own merit instead of His righteousness in us, we would have called to receive glory. No, it must be this way. Because this is the way that God gets glory. He stays holy. that can pardon sinners because it's His righteousness that He has given. And His righteousness which He sanctifies us by. To Him be glory for all that He has done. He has done it perfectly and His plan is flawless. I think that's what stops Paul's heart. Wow, you've given us the perfect way and all we do is believe. That's it. All we do is trust Him and God does the rest. God saves us. We follow in faith and God sanctifies us, right? So all glory be due to Him. You see, God and God alone is worthy of that glory. And praise that glorifies God is exactly what we are created to do. You ever wonder why a song can move you so much? Whatever song that might be for you, when you sing it, it touches your heart and you feel so caught up and close to God, that's because you're doing what you were made to do. To glorify Him. And a heart and a mind that is full of praise and one that gives all the glory to God produces a life that is lived for Him. That's why it's so important. God is worthy of it. It gets us closer to Him. It gets our life in the right place. It's a holy reaction to a holy God and the vehicle through which our lives are lived to Him. You can't live right unless your heart is right. You understand what I'm saying? And our heart is made right with God because of all that He is and His perfect plan. So praise has a very important place. Now here comes the flip side. There's a call that goes with this. The call is to humble yourself and willingly glorify Him now in this life. We are free to reject, aren't we? This isn't true of all humanity, is it? People don't have a willing heart. People don't praise the same way Paul does. Us who know him, us who are part of his people can read and say, Amen, Paul, I'm there, right there with you. Oh, God is so good. To him be glory. Not all the world says that, do they? We have a choice to reject. The call of Scripture is to bow before and glorify God and accept his salvation and follow him and Give Him all the glory. 
Not to presume that we know more and not to presume that we would give Him counsel. No. But to say, oh, the depth of the riches of your wisdom and knowledge, I glorify you. And to do that now because one day you will. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't forget the last phrase, to the glory of God the Father. You will glorify Him forever. If your heart willingly rejects today, you will glorify God. You will say to Him be glory forever. Amen. And you will do so by your damnation. As His perfect judgment is given in perfect wisdom and knowledge against rejection of His perfect plan. So how about we humble ourselves and lift Him up? I know most of our hearts here, and I would say that we want to glorify Him, right? Our hearts are full of thankfulness and full of appreciation for all that He's done. He has been so gracious to us, hasn't He? So merciful. And there's times I didn't understand what He was doing in my life, but I look back now and say, yep, you knew it. You've got perfect wisdom and perfect knowledge. So just by the way, the next time something hard comes up, and we don't quite understand what God's doing, maybe make a mark here and come back and consider. <laughs> you are perfect in wisdom. You, are per- you know what you're doing, Lord. I'm not going to try to counsel you. I'm just going to give you glory. And I know everything will be fine. God has been so gracious, redeeming us, drawing us close and giving us precious promises. So as we move to a close, I simply ask that you would reflect on that. Three short little verses, that, four short little verses that give us time before we, we start talking about how we ought to live. It give us time to reflect on God's goodness to us. Take time to truly consider all that He has done in your life. All the things that He has poured into your life and let your heart be lifted in praise. Oh God, You are so good. Giving Him glory for the salvation that He's given, the salvation that He offers to you. If if you don't know Him this morning, he, He wants to save you and forgive you of your sins if you would trust in Christ. For the relationship that we can have, walking close to Him every day, moved and filled with His Spirit and for the glory that waits for us, the promise of being with Him one day forever and ever. If you truly let that hit your heart, you will see He is worthy of all praise. Let's bow our head. Father, we bow before You. We thank You. You are great and mighty and perfect. You know so much more than we ever can, Lord, and You have given us the way that we might be saved, the way that we might walk with You, Lord. I ask that You would help us to submit to You with humble hearts, to follow with You with with praise-filled hearts, 
and that we would always in everything that we do give glory to you for you are worthy Lord take the glory away from me and point everyone to you I thank you again for all that you've done Lord I pray that you would move among us as you see fit strengthen us and draw us closer and once again I ask your care in the prayer requests that we have lifted up to you be with us and watch over us. I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.